from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER podcast. It is a critical moment. If we do not act with urgency, we would then severely undermine the liberal order. Brexit means Brexit, and we're going to make a success of it. The wind is back in Europe's sights. We have now a window of opportunity, but it will not stay open forever. Hello and welcome to the CER podcast. My name is Sophia Besch and I'm in conversation with Sam Lowe today, who's a senior research fellow at the Center for European Reform. We're here to talk about what does Brexit mean for trade and services. Now, Sam, you wrote a policy brief on this at the end of last year. Because I work with you, I know that this matters and I roughly know what it means. But frankly, other than you, not a lot of people seem to be talking about this, even though it is, as you will explain, important. So what are we talking about when we talk about services? Why does it matter and why does nobody seem to care? It's a good question. I, I, and, and I think we know from the Brexit debate, we just talk about goods all the time. I think one, I think one of the reasons for that is services are quite intangible. It's, it's actually quite difficult to explain what you mean when you're talking about services. And one of the examples that I like to give is it's essentially anything you can sell that you can't drop on your foot. <laughs> so so be, be that be that a haircut or legal services or accounting services or PR. These are all things that you can you, you sell, but but you don't necessarily see mm-hmm. or you, it might have tangible outcomes I mean if you're a lawyer you have some legal documents right but 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 it's not the same as me saying I'm going to I'm going to sell you my cow and we're going to trade that across the border mm-hmm. uh, we think Sam is a researcher on trade policy really he's a kindergarten teacher <laughs> explaining to all of us well I do have to talk to a lot of MPs so 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 potentially I, I, I've had to do a bit of both but but what, what I mean by this is that it's understandable that people don't really talk about services it's also not so sexy when it comes to, to the news and to, to what you see on TV in the evening in that a queue of trucks backed up from Dover makes much better television than an accountant having to re-license themselves in Ireland because of Brexit. You know, you, it's not that interesting just to watch someone fill out a load of paper. So it's understandable that potentially it hasn't had the attention it deserves, but it should Right. This is where you come in. Now you make services sexy. Why should we care? Why should we care? It's important. A large proportion of the UK economy consists of services. People always pull out the statistic, 80% of our economy is services. Maybe. It's a lot. And in terms of, in terms of exports, we do actually export more goods than we do services, but it's close. Mm-hmm. And it's something we should care about. And of course, when it comes to us leaving the EU, we know that's potentially going to be a hit when it comes to our services trade. And I think the really interesting thing about this in the British debate is that the government has already actually accepted that the UK leaving the EU will mean that British services will find it more difficult to sell into the EU in future. And they've accepted this, but say it's the price to pay for ending free movement of people. Okay, so now can we back up a little bit and can you explain what the EU's role actually is in regulating the services market? Is there even a single market for services? What are we talking about here? Most people in the UK, or at least in the public debate, seem to believe that there is no single market in services. It's, it's, it's a line that's repeated over and over again, and I think just through repetition people have sort of internalised it. But that's not true. Whilst it's true to say that the single market in services is not as deep as the single market in goods, it still certainly exists. And actually, if you think about uh, groupings of countries around the world and you go, who's actually made the most progress on liberalising services? It's the EU. And in some areas, actually, it's easier to trade certain services within the EU than it is within the US, 
for example, in, and when it comes to the recognition of professional qualifications, the EU's gone further than the US. So yes, it matters. But the point I would make is it does depend on the service. And this is another reason it's actually quite difficult to talk about services trade. When you talk about goods, you, you can go online, and you can go, what's the tariff on that? Okay, it's a 10% tariff. That, that's bad. Fine. But for services, it's much more difficult because actually most of the barriers are behind the border. It's still a shared competence within the EU. So you have to look at the EU level, but also at the member state level. And you really have to just go service by service to find out what you can do in the EU versus what you can do from outside. So how does this work for the UK then concretely? How does our services trade with the EU actually function? So in terms of how we think about services, it's interesting to note that when you look at, say, the EU's trade with the rest of the world, and this is true of most countries, if you want to sell a service into another country, the way it's usually done is you set up a company there, subsidiary, and you service those customers in that country from that company. Because distance matters, people like face-to-face conversations, you probably want to employ local staff who speak the language, there's many reasons why you do that. But the interesting thing about the UK's trade with the EU is much more is actually done from within the UK and exported directly to consumers around the EU. And this is especially true of financial services. And I suppose the question for me is, and I think we'll get to this, is if the UK is to leave the single market, which is the intention, it's the, it's the explicit intention of the government, and we do trade with the EU on similar terms to which we share, trade with the rest of the world, what changes with how our services are provided? And my working assumption was that it would lead to fewer services being exported directly from the UK and more investment in these third countries, setting up offices from which to continue to service the consumers base there. Yeah, and what have you found on that? Is that what's coming out of the modelling that you've done? Yes, so so, so it is. and I th- But I think we do need to differentiate by sector because I think one of the interesting things when it comes to services is when it comes to economic impact, we don't actually know that much about it. There's been... There's There's been gravity modelling on it, there's been different models that have have looked at it, but it's largely looked at it on aggregate. And it hasn't differentiated between different sectors, because the EU is naturally more open in some sectors than others, just to the whole world. In some highly regulated sectors, it's not. The single market has more benefits in some areas than not. And what I've tried to look at in this paper, which you should all read, is the impact determined by sectors. So, for example, transport services, insurance and pension services, financial services, telecommunication services, and then other business services, which is a big category that includes, say, lawyers, but also PR and advertising. So, so it's a range. And what I've found is that the impact varies. So, for example, telecommunications, if we're expecting that we're going to leave the single market and we're going to be in a free trade agreement type scenario, actually very little change in terms of the impact with regards to exports directly from the UK versus services provided via an established entity set up in the EU. And that's largely to do with the single market in telecommunications not having progressed that far. Mm-hmm. Most of the companies are already, are still national, so so not much changes. But for financial services, specifically banking, my sort of approach suggests that we're looking at up to a 60% drop in exports from the UK. And that fits with what we know about financial services and their reaction to Brexit so far. We've seen in the news, you see it every day, you know, there's banks setting up subsidiaries in Frankfurt, in Ireland, in Dublin, in order to service the consumers there. The investment is shifting from the UK to the EU. The same level of services might be provided, but it won't be done from the UK. And this 60% 
roughly 60% drop might be a bit high. The EU has quite a good equivalence regime, which could mitigate some of the impact if the UK was to fully make use of it, which no other country has managed to do so far. But it sounds about right. And then you also you look at insurance services, you see about a 19% drop in exports from the UK. And again, this is this makes sense just because of how this industry is already set up. It's not as big as banking, but there's, there's still a drop. And then on business services, I find there'd be a 10% drop in exports directly from the UK. That's smaller, but, but it makes sense that it's smaller because of how these industries are already set up. If you think about the big consulting firms in the UK, they already have offices around the EU yeah. in order to service, say, the German market or the French market. So they're already in a position where they're not necessarily exporting these services directly from the UK. And those that they are, they could probably continue to do so outside of the single market anyway. Right. And so this is assuming there's going to be an FTA with mm -hmm. the EU. From what has happened since you wrote this policy brief, from uh, the kind of crystal ball gazing that you can do at this point, where do you think the UK will land after Brexit, assuming it will happen? What does the future agreement say on services? So I think the interesting thing to say here is that whilst I've looked at this um, on the basis of a free trade agreement, actually the provisions in a free trade agreement aren't that much different looking at the existing eu free trade agreements aren't much different on services than just if we were to trade on the basis of a wto commitments so nothing really changes there but in terms of the substance of the future relationship on services i do think we've begun to see an outline of what that could look like and where the eu would potentially go further with the uk than it has before with other countries And those are in a couple of areas. The first being the EU will probably be willing to go further when it comes to mutual recognition of qualifications. So in terms of recognising that a lawyer who's qualified in the UK potentially is also able to practice or their qualification is recognised in France. But the problem we have is that whilst the EU might be willing to go further on this, because it's a shared competence with member states, they can't necessarily make member states recognise a British qualification. So it might be the case that actually the UK Law Society in this example has to just bilaterally talk to all of the different societies in the different countries in order to ensure this recognition is in place. The other area where the EU would potentially go further is on the temporary movement of people to deliver services, in that the big constraint on it being easy for people to move and work between the UK and the EU isn't the EU, it's the UK and its red line on freedom of movement. But if the UK was to decide to negotiate a deep preferential uh, labour migratory framework or something like that, then I think the EU would go with it. The other area where the EU is willing to go further is on right to establishment, which by, by which I mean they will make it easy for UK companies to establish themselves within the EU in order to service the rest of the EU. And they've been quite explicit on this. But where the big barriers go up, and this is particularly in terms of regulated services, so financial services, legal services and the like, is on exports from the UK to the EU. That's where the barriers go up. And this framework that I've just described here is essentially saying to UK companies, we will make it as easy as possible for you to come relocate capital investment into the EU27 in order to service your consumers here. And we will make it quite difficult for you to do that from the UK. So the, the cynic in you, in well, I could argue if I was a cynical man, that the EU's uh, got some really big pull factors going on and say essentially rolling out the red carpet to establishment and saying, well, if you're worried about Brexit, why don't you just come, say, over. Say, come on over? I think in practice, this is what the agreement will look like unless the UK decides to change its red line on freedom of movement. And that's a big if. That's the big unless. That's yes. the big unless, yes. All right. Great, Sam. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the CER podcast. 
If you have any feedback for us or want to leave suggestions for a future episode, then you can find us on Twitter at CER underscore EU.